This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello again, this is the Creative Agency Podcast. The interview you're about to hear is packed with great advice from Patrick Ezel, co-owner of Copius, an award-winning design and development firm. Patrick does a great job of explaining the challenges and rewards of growing an agency from just a few folks to one of about 30 employees. If you love the show, and I know you do, please write a positive review on iTunes and subscribe. Also, I'd love to hear from you. I'm always looking for new people to interview, so drop me a line or ask me a question at chris at creativeagencypodcast.com. All right, let's get to that interview. All right, well, I'm here at Murmur Creative with Patrick Ezel. Is that how you say it? Ezel. Ezel. You, you are closer than most people. So. <laughs> um, founder of the digital agency, Copious. Copious just happens to be located in the Washington High School building, yeah. which is where we're located right now. And actually one of two founders of a company. Oh, okay. One so, of two founders. Yeah. Welcome, Patrick. How long has um, Copious been in operation? Uh, Copious has been around in its current form for about 10 years. Uh, my business partner and I, who, who started the company, have been working together about 12, almost 13 years now. And how many employees does Copious have right now? Gosh, uh, we are somewhere right around 30. And uh, probably by the end of the year, we'll be somewhere right above 30. I think we're right below now. So tell me a little bit about Copious starting out. How did you find clients? What were the sort of services that you offered to begin with? Sure. Well, we've always been really focused in the digital space. Uh, even when we were three folks uh, back in the day, most all of our work was, well, we were calling it, I think, web then. It wasn't quite interactive and it certainly wasn't digital yet. Um, but almost all of it involved building websites or building custom software and deploying that for clients. The kind of clients we worked with at a size-wise were quite a bit different than what we worked with now. I'd say it's a lot, it was a lot more small businesses mainly in Portland, mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of our work now is outside of the area. And finding clients was really two main ways. One, getting referrals, talking to people about what we we're doing, why we were doing it, and why people should hire us. Mm -hmm. And just getting out there and uh, networking. Uh, I will say networking is not one of my favorite things, but getting to know people really is. Building uh -huh. relationships, talking about what their business goals are and how we could help them along the way. So it was a lot of just pounding the pavement. I mean, I went on a event spree for a couple of years where if there was an event in Portland that had, you know, entrepreneurs, business people, I was probably going to be there and I was going to meet someone and oh, have great. a good conversation. So was that, was that sort of the main kind of marketing you did early on was sort of uh, outreach and... Yeah, we, we were really focused on uh, organic search at that point, the market wasn't nearly as crowded. And we were also doing some some page search, mm -hmm. uh, really primarily Google. We've never really gone beyond Google other than to test it and saw that Yahoo at the time wasn't producing great results. So right. we canned that and have been with Google ever since. And so it was a lot of when we weren't directly reaching out human to human, it was really search driven. There were a few other industry sites where you could list yourself and talk about what you did, why you did it, show a couple of portfolio pieces. Uh, we used those and, and those were valuable. And the only other place was um, awards. So we would enter, you know, the competitions like the W3 awards, the Davies, where, you know, it was limited to folks who weren't the giant 
you know, razor fishes of the world. Um, some of them may have been a lot bigger than us, but where you could get some recognition from the industry of the work you had done. That was, we did that. It didn't drive a whole lot of business for a few years. I think it really took some time, you know, winning an award and then winning some the next year to start to have people recognize that we were out there and could potentially be a good fit. That that makes a lot of sense. We actually just entered and won our first award um, this year. <laughs> oh, congrats. For a branding makeover of uh, the American lamb industry. <laughs> oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we got to do more of that. <laughs> so uh, what was one of the hardest lessons you learned sort of um, starting out with Copious? I'd say almost everything but the work felt like a hard lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically everything other than what we were doing to make money directly um, was was difficult because a lot of it was new and we were changing and growing a ton. Everything from learning how to deal with finance and getting really good at contracts um, through negotiating, uh, people management, basically every aspect of the business in, yeah. in a lot of ways was we were trying to take a different approach than we had seen in a lot of places and um, interact with our clients differently. And so that was a bit of, of trial and error, really. There wasn't a, a kind of a traditional agency model that we were following. Uh, and so it was a little bit of kind of stumbling as you went and just getting up as quick as you could and going, oh, that didn't work. Let's try this other way and, and really learning along the way. So the business of the business yeah. would be the, the headline of like the areas that were hard. One of the hardest in that I'd say was probably sales. Um, I am, I'm frankly by nature more of an introvert. Yeah. And so, you know, going out networking, l intentionally looking to meet new people, that wasn't on my, my list really at the time. But if we wanted to grow the business, which we'd committed to growing it and we wanted to build a company rather than, you know, we were frankly pretty happy with just a couple of folks and keeping it really small. And we said, Let, let's grow this. And so one of us had to get good at sales and I had some of the right um, kind of muscles in place that were just, you know, atrophied. Yeah. They'd never been really used. <laughs> and so it was just starting to use them. And uh, frankly, not getting too afraid of failure, it would just happen every day, uh, sometimes multiple times a day. And it's a little bit of a mix of positive attitude, uh, resilience, and at the end of the day, persistence. Uh, I don't like to start things where I, I'm not successful and even though there was an immense amount to learn, I wanted to get good at it. And at the end of the day, help people understand why they should hire us or not. Yeah. I didn't really want to convince them. I wanted to make it really clear to have them go, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense to hire you guys. Um, and at first, I really had no idea how to do that. Did either you or your partner have agency experience? We had worked for a lot of agencies as contractors. So we'd never been inside the, you know, the four walls, walls of the agency um, and what's a little ironic to think about now is we looked at the agency from the outside and said, we can do some of this better than they can do without ever having been inside. You know, so yeah. it's always a little bit the uh, you're looking from the outside and you don't really know what's inside. But, you know, we were young and excited and we're willing to take the hard road of building something that we may not really know how to do but we were going to give it a shot. Yeah, I don't, not many of us here at Murmur Creative have agency experience either. That's kind of one of the impetuses for this podcast is mm -hmm. to find out, you know, how people do it. <laughs> <laughs> so on your homepage, which is copy.us. It's actually copio. So it's the word is copious. And we just found the folks who owned copious.com wouldn't sell it to us. 
And so we were like, oh, we can buy copio.us, and it's the word. Frankly, on the other side, everyone who looks at it tries to figure out what the word copio means. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're one of many who've done that. But it's the word copious with a dot between O and a U. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So on your website, it says, engaging digital experiences, enriching transactions. We partner with clients to create human-centric digital experiences that grow their business. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Sure. So in the, the world of web, interactive, digital, a lot of what we did early on was more custom work. Um, there weren't really any established CMSs that really had broad traction. And we were attracted to some of the more challenging projects that weren't just uh, a site with static copies. Sometimes it was a very dynamic process. Uh, we built, gosh, it was probably 2000, I'm trying to do the timeline here, it was probably 2004, 2005. We built a really huge, uh, and for the day, really advanced site to search for real estate. Uh, there wasn't anything in the market really that was really friendly yet. And we were like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so from the ground up, we built a really large, complex, and probably if our VP of engineering looked at it now, he'd be like, oh my God, look at the code. But um, <laughs> at the time it worked and um, it just allowed people to interact with um, the process in a more human way and less of an online catalog type of a way. And so we would seek out those projects that were hard and, and some people would be like, oh, it's not possible. And you're like, we'll show you. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you'd say glutton for punishment or just really ambitious, maybe a, a mix of both. Uh -huh. And that was uh, a lot of how we grew was we would take on projects that some other people would look at and go, I'm not touching that. Right. Um, they don't want to get near that. And we were like, oh, that's challenging. That's a reason to get up in the morning. Um, no one knows how to do it. Perfect. We'll, uh, we'll dive in and, and go after it. In the last five years, we've taken that kind of early e-commerce experience and gone really deep around digital commerce. Uh, that's been an area we've been really good at balancing the kind of the complexity of everything from fulfillment and operations through finance. Uh, and at the end of the day, trying to create what is as close to a great retail experience as possible in the digital space. And that's now on an annual basis, it's, you know, like 90 plus percent of the work we do with mm -hmm. our clients. And as we got bigger, there was always a, a kind of a point where we go, do we add more or do we take some away? And we tend to have cut off more as we've grown. So we've uh -huh. gotten more and more specialized. And that was for really two main reasons. One, we wanted to be differentiated. We didn't want to be everything to everyone. We wanted to have a reason to say, yeah, we can do all of that, but we, we choose to do these things and do them really well. And secondly, it was about hiring and growing people in the way we needed them. Uh, not a lot of folks had the type of experience either on the, the UX or the technology where they had dealt with all these complexities. And we wanted to bring people in who had, uh, you know, had a passion, a desire to learn, had good critical thinking and help them learn it and help them be great at it. And, and that was a win for us, for them, for, for our clients. If we, at one point we were trying to do that in too many things and it just wasn't sustainable. And so it was both very much a business decision from a, a brand standpoint. Okay, here's who we are, here's why you hire us. And from a, a talent acquisition and growth standpoint, if you're looking to learn about e-commerce or complex digital experiences, that's what we do. And when you come in the door, there's some things we're going to teach you along the way that, you know, you can use and hopefully grow with us. Or even if we launch you out into the world, you've gotten a really good baseline of how to do this kind of work really well. 
And the transactional side is one where we've done some work that's not as traditional retail e-commerce, where you're going on, you're buying a product. We've done work in the services space and with um, actually one of the biggest subscription sampling companies uh, in the U.S. and certainly the world, uh, Birchbox. So we helped launch them into the market and it was, they wanted to deliver something which frankly I didn't understand at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was geared to 99% women. And when I got smart enough to ask my wife and other women, they they either were kind of like, oh, that's okay, or they loved it. And we were like, well, even though we don't understand it yet, we'll, we'll jump in and help deliver it. Um, and so we've done that and work in the energy space, the, uh, the high tech kind of SaaS space. Um, more recently, we have a really large client that's an airline and you're applying some of the same principles, which is it's a transaction. In the case of an airline, you're buying a seat on a plane. We're trying to make that as simple as possible. And if we make it as simple and easy as possible, what you get on the other side is a better customer experience and you make more money. It's really a very simple formula that a lot of people either screw up or can't figure out how to get to because there's a lot in the way of actually making it simple and easy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we've all had lots of experience banging your head against the computer because some transactional experience is horrible. (laughs) So you mentioned Birchbox. Um, You work with a lot of great brands, including um, Adidas, Leatherman, um, Asics, uh, CD Baby, which is actually my former employer. Um, and that's actually how I first he- heard of Copious was that you guys worked on the CD Baby um, artist website. And I was impressed by uh, the work that you guys did. I think CD Baby is actually a, a really good example of that not traditional retail commerce. Like they're not selling anything directly to the artist. They are providing a, you know, kind of a platform and a vehicle for them to put their music out. And right. obviously started in an age where CDs were still the, the main way that got out. And they're still around doing that. But so much of it is digital distribution now. And we've done a couple of projects. The, the first one really focused on the, the artists more from kind of a digital marketing and, and acquisition standpoint. You know, how do we help people understand that CD Baby will make their life as an artist a whole lot easier and allow them to get their music out? Um, and the fact is the people at CD Baby are really passionate about music. Kevin, I think he's the VP of marketing now. Yep. He's a musician by trade and he was a professional musician. So you've got people who are bringing something to the market for an audience that they get yeah. and are committed to. And so it was like great market opportunity. And also like these people have been inside of it and understand where it's hard and a pain in the ass and how they want to make it better and different. And that's that was exciting. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're selling a basically some ways like a SaaS subscription and, you know, they're going to make money the more money you make um, for what you're putting out. And that was a, it wasn't an easy process, you know, going through and having to label uh, just so many little pieces of data around the music. It's insane. I had no idea. And yeah. I think that no matter how you look at it, it's, it's a pain in the ass. And so yeah. it was, okay, so how can we have this thing that right now is a big pain in the ass? be much less of a pain in the ass. Yeah. And some of that, the, the perception of easy is something we talk about a lot. Sometimes it's just if the end user is feeling like it's easy, even if it's still a really big process, then we've had a win. Um, the moment that we make it frustrating or you don't know kind of what you're doing and what's next is where we lose people. And so between, you know, we often talk about where we want to play in the world is building bridges between our clients and their end users or customers. And with CD Baby, they had a great product and they had a really loyal following. It was a matter of some of the the way it was communicated outwardly and, and the experience the artists interacted with. They actually didn't deliver on the CD Baby promise. And it wasn't that anyone had done anything wrong. It was just like, it's time to think about this a little bit newly. 
differently and figure out how this promise of helping artists get their music out can be done in a much more simple, straightforward way for them. When we do that, it's great because, you know, for us, brand is everything, you know, from the, the touch point of customer service when you've got an issue through how it looks, feels, every aspect of the experience. And CDBB had a really strong commitment mm-hmm. to what that was. And in some ways, that makes our job easy. We yeah. come in and go, okay, so here's where you want to be. Oh, here's where you're at. Okay, there's a gap. Yeah. <laughs> and let's figure out how to close that gap and get to know your customers and figure out how to make their life as easy as possible when doing this. Mm-hmm. So uh, how is how is Copious going now? And what are your what are your growth goals? What what do you see in the future for, for Copious? Sure. I, I think if I were to to try and think about what we looked forward to when we were still really three, four folks um, a little over a decade ago. I don't know that we would have imagined that what we have today is what we were going to have. But for me, it's better. Mm-hmm. And it's way better. The clients we have, the the people on the team we have, I mean, it's a lot of fun to, and you know, at this point, I'm not hands-on with the work anymore, which was, uh, you know, it felt like at first a bit like losing a loved one. Mm-hmm. That's why I got into it. I really loved doing it. Now we've got we've got so many people who are way smarter than I am and who are really talented and passionate about these different aspects of how we do our work and, and what we produce that it's really fun to, to try and help them be as successful as possible. In some ways I say now I'm a professional matchmaker. Um, I need to find the right clients that we can do great work for and find the right people on the team who can help do that great work. And it's kind of like, great, we've made a match. Um, If I do that really well, then it's a lot of what makes us very successful at the end of the day. But it's, it's challenging, frankly, with no real business experience. And that what was hard early on was, well, everything in the business and going through the stages of you know, right around 10 people starts to get like, whoa, this is different. This is not as easy to all keep in my head. Right. How do we do this now? And then going from 10 to 20, it's another, oh, okay. I now don't really know what everyone's working on. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can't all be kept in one person's head. And so how do you change and what things should change and what things are fundamental and shouldn't change at all? You just have to figure out how to do them now with more people or how to teach someone else how to do them into now on the other side. I, I, I would say that one of the most difficult points is probably between 10 and 20. There is a lot that changes organizationally and you're trying to keep some of the secret sauce that's made you, you, and that is, that's culture. That's how you approach the work. Um, it's the people at the end of the day because we're not selling a product that sits on shelves. We're creating something that wasn't there. And certainly some of the, the processes, techniques, and things we've learned help us go a really long way. Uh, at the end of the day, it's people. And the people on the team trying to keep that, that intimacy where it still feels very connected. Because in order for teams to be successful on really challenging pro- projects, there has to be a level of relationship. And it doesn't matter if they're best friends. That's not it. It's like I'm working with smart people who are, you know, frankly, a lot of them really quirky, maybe the outside world, but we've got a goal and it's a common goal and I got to do my part and you have to do your part. And when we get to do those together, we can make some really great pieces of work that moves the needle a ton for our clients. In that, in that period of scaling, though, at one point we, we moved super quick and we went from probably 10 to 18 in less than 12 months. And looking back, we didn't realize, and frankly, I didn't realize how much certain things were going to change. And 
we didn't put enough structure in some places. And, and part of that structure was so that the other smart people that we hired could really do their jobs well. So much had been very organic and fluid, which suited my personality really well. It was like, cool, another challenge to solve. Let's go at it. But when you're hiring people, part of what you want to do is help them understand how they are really successful inside of our team with their colleagues and uh, in creating the work that we deliver to clients. And we didn't do a good job of that at first. And so just because of the speed that we grew along with not enough intentionality around culture and certain parts of process, we diluted some things that weren't great at the end of the day and, and took us some time to realize. Uh, today, though, probably the last two years, we've really cranked up the amount we focus on uh, culture and the, the approach to the work as well as the work itself. And doing that has been great. It helps us hire better people. Uh, train them more effectively and have them be more successful in their their roles. You really need to think about, do you want to go from 10 to 20? Because as, if you are running the company, you're no longer doing the work that you loved, most likely. Unless you bring in someone or, you know, in this case, I took more of a kind of operationally focused, outward focused role. And uh, my business partner, Tim, really focused more on the work internally. And, mm -hmm. and that was a necessary thing. And there were still some places I got to interact around the work, but it was really a change. And I think if you don't do that, you're limiting growth, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just think you got to be really conscious about what do you want to do every day? You know, managing people and a company isn't for everyone. And that's not to say anyone's wrong about it. It's like, just make the decision before you do it and then realize, oh, well, this is what I built. I don't like this as much. Um, some people can be great, you know, eight, 10 person companies forever. It's just like, what do you want? And are you, and for my case, I wanted to learn some new things <laughs> and certainly have the opportunity to fail a whole lot more and learn some new things. Uh, when you look, especially at the last 12 months of where we've gotten to, and, and frankly, the, the move into Washington High School has been a really great catalyst for, uh, the team overall. The space was built out fairly differently. It's really a mix of different kinds of working spaces, some common, a lot of heads down space. And it was very different. But the other places we had been as a company were, they weren't helping facilitate great work. And in some places they were getting in the way. Was that, were they like separate offices or? No, we had definitely um, gone full in on the open office mm -hmm. side of things. We liked the communication, we liked the transparency. We'd had a few private offices, basically for phone calls, um, meetings where you know you're making decisions that not you didn't necessarily need everyone in the company to contribute to mm -hmm. or be bothered by. And the the space we have now is is very flexible and pretty fluid. People don't have to sit in a certain section; they can sit where they want. They kind of get the you know they get a standing desk and a chair of their choice, and then it's like, okay, these are the three main areas people sit. Which one do you want? We have a couple of people who, after they moved in within two months, had given up their desks. Uh, they have like a corner of their couch that you are 99% likely to find them on every day <laughs> of the week. And they just realized after a while, it's like, you know, I haven't been to my house, in this case, the desk in a long time. Maybe I should get rid of that, um, which is we didn't we didn't have any idea that was going to happen uh -huh. at the end of the day. So the the space and some of the the great people who've come onto the team in the last 18 months have had a huge impact on the culture. It's gotten a lot stronger and richer and uh, the work. There's, uh, I was looking recently um, at some pieces of work we still can't talk about and I am just chomping at the bit to be able to tell people and show off what the team's done. Um, they've done some really incredible work. Um, I think the 
the work around the airline website is just is just killer. It's going to have a really huge impact on millions and millions of people every year in terms of how easy it is for them to, uh, you know, book their trip all the way through checking in and getting on board. And that's yeah. that's awesome. We really love to impact people on the business and the consumer side. And some just great pieces of work have come out in the market that are more traditional retail. Uh, Yakima Racks, a, a local brand. Uh, we did a big relaunch. They launched uh, right around middle of this year. And it's been really cool to see the impact of that site on their business directly in, in direct sales and also how uh, it, it works as a tool for the end user. And that might be a consumer or frankly, it might be the guy in RAI who's trying to answer your questions about this rack in your car and what should I get? Um, it's been a really good tool for them. It, in some ways, it helps facilitate a lot of offline transactions because store employees who know enough to be dangerous, but you know they can't keep that entire catalog of knowledge in their head. They know where to go look, and they know the question to ask, and they can now help the people that are in front of them a lot better. Seeing the amount of people we impact and how good the team is doing at some of that, it's fun to stand back and watch. And frankly, the more I get out of the way, sometimes the better the work gets and <laughs> we can have the conversation with my therapist later. But um, yeah, that for me is where I find my uh, my real excitement now is going, oh, you know, that person would be a great fit. Yeah. In six months on our team, it's going to feel like the, they've learned as much as they did in the last two years. And, and that's actually one of our measures with new people is, you know, 60 or six months in, how do they feel? And a lot of them go like, I just feel like I've learned a ton. And we're like, great. That means we you're in the right spot. So business is going well. Um, there's a lot more exciting things to see. And, you know, we continue to hire people smarter than me. And, and if we do that, then we're in really good shape. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, of the team we've got now, uh, a little bit less than half are is in engineering. Mm -hmm. And in our world, that's a lot of software engineers, not necessarily from the agency world. It's people who write really good software are great problem solvers. And then we've got, you know, front end engineers, UX engineers. We've got the, the bulk of the team is kind of true software engineers. And then we have guys who are focused on systems and, and DevOps. So taking what we build and scaling the heck out of it. You know, we're, we're approaching for some of our clients Cyber Monday, which even though it's not as big as it used to be, mm -hmm. um, you know, they might have a day that is 20 times a normal day in a year. Right. And uh, the DevOps guys get busy. And if you don't plan well for that, then it's it's not a fun day. But uh, our, our team is in a lot of planning and they uh, everything's ready for liftoff. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. How far would you say Copia sort of gets into the, the marketing aspects of things? You know, we've got a lot of background in it. A lot of the folks that are on the team and on the, the strategy team have the, their background in, in digital marketing. We did that for clients for a long time. Um, it was another one of those decisions about three years ago to go, you know, we're doing this really well, um, but we feel like we need to narrow again. Mm -hmm. The projects are getting bigger and more complex, and we're either going to have to grow a lot faster to be able to do both really, really well, or we're going to have to narrow our focus. And yeah. so we decided to narrow I would say we're still in it enough and we interact with our clients' internal teams and sometimes other agency partners who are doing that day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that our skills stay sharp enough to know kind of what to recommend to a client or mm -hmm. to tell them, hey, that's probably not a good idea. And also know kind of when to shut our mouth and say, hey, we should bring in someone we know who's really, really great at this. Like if you think we're smarter on this, they look, they make us look dumb. Um, so it's, again, a lot of like the relationships and being willing to take our kind of card out of the hat at the appropriate time and go, yeah, we've been able to help you. We're not going to go there anymore. We don't do this enough to make sure that we're 
our advice is still good. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Do you find yourself turning down a lot of work that doesn't fall into your category? Yeah, we do. A lot of it is size. I'd say some of, uh, in terms of just the dollars and cents of projects, we have a model where on an average project, you're looking at five people over three months on a small project Mm -hmm. who are really just working on that project. If you look at the course of the year, that's probably now more like six people over four and a half months. So Mm -hmm. we've got quite a team engaged. And so the price point on that, it's above a lot of clients. And the other thing we've gotten really picky on client wise is that the the kind of the, the beliefs and values of their brand work well with ours. We're not looking for like, hey, our five core values line up with yours. Uh, but for us, we've got, got five of them. We got integrity, passion, honesty, and, and that's 60% of the values. And those are all about really who you are and how you approach life and people and work, um, not the work itself. And the other two are, are craft and growth. And craft is the work, whether you're doing software engineering, UX design, digital visual design, that's craft in our world. And it's, it's a mix of art and science on both sides of it. Uh, and the last one, the growth, if you are in this industry and you are not growing, you are dying. And it's a fast, fast pace. It's changed so much. And every two to three years, it seems to go through a major evolution mm-hmm. uh, or revolution. It's it's just, it's constantly moving. And if you love the fact that you have to learn new things all the time, it's a great place to be. If you like things that don't change a lot, it's an awful, <laughs> yeah. it's an awful place to be. When the kind of the brand values line up well and we go, you know, what you're going to invest in us for a project is going to be a good investment for you. And we believe the ROI there is there from a, a growth and, and kind of overall perspective. That's a good deal for us. Um, it's not just that they can afford us. It's that the work they're going to hire us to do is going to be a good value. Right. And what I tell people on the team who are dealing around sales, I would rather we turn down the $100,000 piece of work and do the $15,000 piece of work for one of our clients than to do the one that's more. And more revenue is more profitability. It's quote unquote better. But unless we're incredibly wrong about the value of that work, they're likely to look back on the client side and go, man, I'm not, I know we weren't forced into it and we asked them for it, but it wasn't a good investment. It just didn't pay off. And we want to be a place where people, where people, you know, invest in us doing work for them and they get really great returns. And so that's helped narrow in some ways industries, uh, focus and also client size below a certain size. We may be able to do great work, but it'll take you forever to get an ROI. And it's not a good, it's not good for the client on their side. And I'd rather refer them to other smart people who don't do lesser work, but have a different approach and different scale. Yeah. Obviously you have to invest a lot to get four or five well-trained, smart people <laughs> building yeah. a website for you and, and dedicating that sort of time and, uh, being able to pay their salaries and, and all that. How do you usually approach pricing with clients? Do you ever use pricing to sort of narrow down the the number of applicants or, or contacts you get? Yeah, we do. And in some ways, sometimes we'll flip the tables where, you know, we may have validated a broad budget and they've said yes, and we will really poke at what their revenues are and what their growth goals are. So and some people get a little bit squeamish about, well, you're asking for my revenue and all this. And at the end of the day, if our clients can't trust us with that information, you shouldn't hire us. Right. I mean, we have clients who are publicly traded and if we were to discuss them before their earnings come out, you know, it's an SEC violation. So they've got to trust us and and 
we don't mind being in that kind of risky position where, yeah, a lot could go wrong and, and there's a lot of trust. And that's really great for doing complex, tough work in the digital space. Um, so, yeah, it is we'll use price as a gate for, you know, can you even afford us? And let's make sure that you're in the right ballpark before we spend a ton of time together and, and we both get frustrated and kind of go, oh, man, that time was wasted. On the other side, it's like, okay, so you're going to put this much in and are you going to get enough out in a reasonable enough time that we're comfortable with the investment? And if we're not, we'll tell a client. Sometimes it's on the bubble and we're like, this, this feels like it may not be quite right and we'll let them decide. Um, but we will be very frank that we're not sure it, it's a good investment. We mm-hmm. know we can do great work. We're not sure if they're going to get the return that is big enough, quick enough to have them look back 12 months after the project and and not just go, yeah, that was a great piece of work, but did the money I put in produce the results I needed? So is that sort of conversation happen with almost all of your clients where you're kind of coming up with the prediction of value? Like, do you actually come up with the number or it's sort of like, we expect this ROI for this project? And- yeah. And, and that is part of why we like e-commerce. Most of our, if our clients are in that space at a big scale, their executive teams and boards have forced them to make projections and that's what they live and die on. Mm-hmm. And so we can have an ROI conversation very much upstream at kind of the, the head of the conversation. And if they haven't defined an ROI yet, they're in the process of doing that. And with a, a lot of our clients are ongoing now. Some of them, that means we, we're doing work every month. Some of it means we just have a really strong relationship and you know, five times a year we're doing some, some things together. So we'll poke at what we know and go, okay, so if you're trying to figure out if this is a good investment, what are you thinking about? Here's what I'm thinking about. I just had, uh, I just had a, a long conversation with a, a CEO of a company locally a couple of weeks ago where they're right at the point where it was on the bubble. The amount they would invest in us was a lot for them. The ROI, we were like, it's right on the bubble of what we would do. And here's kind of what we think is the worst case. This other one you could say is the best case, but I don't bet on it. Please do not bet on right. the, the best case. And we talked for about an hour and a half through a bunch of things. And we actually took a few things off the table uh, in terms of what we were going to do. And what I told him and I tell all our clients, if there are pieces of the work that we can remove and still deliver the kind of caliber and quality that delivers the ROI that our clients have come to expect at the quality you can expect we'll do it. Um, we are not just going to price match. Uh, that would mean we are sacrificing somewhere and mm-hmm. it's not sustainable from a business model and it is not good for the client because no matter how hard you try, that client will be behind everyone else if you've given them a big deal. Um, so that's, it's a very kind of brass tax business conversation that we'll have. Uh, and it, it's kind of fun because if you get people who you know, trust you and go, oh, you're going to ask questions about my business. I don't always get that. It's like, great. Yeah, we're going to ask questions about your business and we're going to have spreadsheets and we're going to put in numbers into them and go, yeah, the ROI is there. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I like to put it, we'll have the CEO and CFO, you know, should I spend the money conversations? And sometimes we'll flip the table and try and sell them out of buying us. It, it, that was really weird at first because it's like, I'm, I may be giving away revenue that we'd really like or yeah. we really need right now. It has developed far stronger relationships and uh, our clients tell other people about it, which for us is, you know, that that word of mouth is has been for a long time and continues to be a great source of clients. Clients know what they spent. They know what they got. 
most of them have worked with a number of people like uh, companies similar to ours over the years, and they know what we do differently and can articulate that. Um, and the bet, you know, I we're in a business where every thing you can say about us is really a reflection of the work we do for our clients. Other than that, it's about the really the business and the culture. But you know, we we've done crap tons of awards, and in some ways. Uh, well, I use the word crap, right? I mean, there's some ways in, in right now that it's not as important. It is right. We love being recognized in the industry, and I, I think it's great recognition for the team. Uh, when a client comes back and goes, you know, I want to up our spend with you 35% next year over the course of the year because uh, it's been it's been great. You guys have delivered on everything you said. You told us no a few times. That for me is like, okay, we've made it. We are doing great work, and we are running a kind of business that. Uh, we can be proud of the relationships and the value we drive. Now, you said you worked with a lot of clients that were not here in Portland. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of manage the, the remote aspect of working with clients? Yeah, that uh, it's certainly easier in this day and age than ever, mm-hmm. but it is challenging. The ability uh, to stand in front of a whiteboard with like three people and solve something, man, it, it is like, uh, it's like gasoline on a fire. It's great to get through problems quickly and like spur new ideas. When they're remote, there's a couple of different things we'll do. Um, we'll, in 99% of the case, we're still going to do an in-person kickoff, which mm-hmm. means they're going to come to us or we're going to go to them. Yeah. Um, so that means like this year we've done a little bit of international travel because, you know, one of our clients is, is not, it's in the, let's say, it's in the, it's in the Americas still, mm-hmm. um, but they're not in the U.S. and they had a big team and it made more sense for us to take four people down there than them to bring 15 up here. And we'll spend a few days together. Uh, depending on the size of the project, it's usually on the low side two, on the high side, maybe five, six, seven days, uh, because we want to make sure that we understand them enough that we can make great decisions on their behalf when they're those small everyday decisions. And also know, like, this is a question I need to ask them. I need to have them understand exactly what we're going to do and the ramifications of the decision, because this is really going to impact the way that they do business or sell product or something along those lines. So it is FaceTime up front, and then it's overly communicate. You, mm-hmm. you can't rely on the fact you're in the same room or even that you can grab coffee together. So we rolled out Slack internally. It was probably a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. And for a long time, it was just internal. Yeah. And now we have clients. And so clients are in there. And so you get this feeling of real-timeness with clients and accessibility to them. Uh, some clients now, you know, I'll be traveling and I'll be in New York doing business and they're like, oh, hey, do you want to have lunch tomorrow? I was like, I'm not on that side of the continent right now. So how about <laughs> next week? But it, it brings it brings a relational feeling mm-hmm. more than something like Basecamp or Jira does. Um, and so that's been a great thing to kind of keep the relationship going. And then with all the other tools, it's like every decision you make has to be recorded digitally so that they can understand it. And, you know, getting on a call and walking them through it, you can't read what is probably the most important thing with communication, which is body language. Yeah. And so we'll try and do video, Skype, wherever we can, or Google Hangouts, so they can see us and we can see them. Uh, There's only so much you can do with voice in terms of uh, excitement, and you certainly can't point to something very easily. Right. So those tools have been really good, and and we ask clients a lot and have for a few years, like, how did that work? Did that work well for you? Did that not work well? Um, It's been a little bit hit and miss with some things, and we found that some clients like certain things more than others. 
Some clients will live in that Slack channel with us. Right. Some of them we have to send an email to say, hey, we asked you a question on Slack. Right. <laughs> I know you got the notice. Can you jump in? Because it's actually a conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, especially around technical things, on the phone conversations can be more confusing when you're like, so here's the piece of data we're looking for from you. Is this the exact one? And it's text. So it's, it's very black and white. Yeah, we use a suite of tools at the end of the day to make sure that our clients understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, what's coming next. You know, I'm going to have to have you sign up on this next week and then go, well, I, you know, as I, you know, as I said before, I have to take it to the board and it, they're not going to veto it, but they want to, they want to basically give it their stamp of approval before everyone else sees it. And we're like, okay, so when's your board meeting? Well, it's Wednesday night. Okay. That means you need to see it Tuesday and give it to you Wednesday morning. And some of it's like logistics, project management, clients have to feel taken care of. And you can do that remotely. It's harder, but you can do it remotely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. We use Slack internally, but we haven't considered using it for, for clients. Um, I'm sure with certain clients, it's, it's great. And other clients might get a little annoying. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think for almost every client, we have uh, what we call a public Slack channel. Mm-hmm. And then, a, then an internal one, and the public one is is pretty clear. And it might actually have our entire team because there are times when we've got someone on a project who is newer to us or is just you know earlier on in their career. That question, it's a learning question for them. But if the client starts to see those, they can get concerned. Yeah. So it's it's about transparency, but also not cr- creating so much noise for them that right. they're like, uh, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, which we don't want. It, the end of the day, uh, we've built a culture which is failure tolerant in terms of people and the kind of general rules. Don't let it leave the building. Don't let it impact our work and our clients. The work we do is so complex that you have to have little failures along the way. Yeah. You really design for them and do testing to figure out like where it's going to break and um, then build structure to make sure that either the, the break point goes away or it's way more tolerant than it needs to be for you know the volume it's going to take. And so it is teaching people about communication. And you know, I think a lot of people in the agency world kind of forget that the broad category we, we tend to fall into is professional services. Mm-hmm. And there's a service-based aspect of that. And if you think about usually your, your favorite restaurant experience, where maybe you spend more money going a night out, it's usually not that you had a great meal with shitty service. Because um, shitty service with a great meal makes the food not taste as good. It's like, hey, we had a great time. And the food was great. The drinks were great. Like the servers were really nice. And, and that goes a long way to just taking that mentality and kind of not being like, uh, we're smarter than you. It's like our clients are really smart. They've built big businesses. We need to learn from them. And they've hired us because they believe and, and see that we're good at what we do. So we got to work together. So, you know, getting out of the us and them and focusing on the fact that, yeah, service is important. You know, project management is an art and a science. It's damn important. It helps, the way I like to put it for people on the team, it's the WD-40 to keep (laughs) like the squeaks out of there and things running smoothly. But it's also like the the white gas on the fire. And, you know, I used to do a lot of backpacking. White gas is super flammable. Um, And when you put it on the fire, man, it just goes. And the right project manager has like removed all of the clutter and like all you see is like the the home stretch and you can just you know crank it whether you're on the you're the bike heading downhill and it's like that final moment or you're, you're on the freeway driving too fast like i might do sometimes <laughs> um like great project managers impact the work and how people feel about doing the work and and, and feelings can be a real kind of um touchy-feely subject 
you can almost feel in work when people's passion was lacking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, we, we know from history that doesn't produce great work. Right. So our folks are there to help facilitate and there is important in the process is the lead engineer and the creative director at the end of the day. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned some software tools, Slack. What other uh, digital tools are, do you rely on? We rely on a handful. We've, we've actually gone through, a, I'd say, a little bit of turmoil in that the, the core systems we've used to manage projects and to track time and money against those projects, we've switched out. We went from six years ago, kind of probably six years ago to like the start, the, the decade or so we've, we've been around the company, we use Redmine, uh, open source project management tool. It is not the prettiest, but it's pretty basic. And we had the ability to customize it. And we did a lot of customization over the years to both improve like visibility, efficiency, a number of things. Uh, and then we had a point where we're like, we want more visibility in some things and more tool set. And it's like, whoa, this would take forever to build. Well, we should probably go buy something and use it. Yeah. Um, and we bought something called Workamajig. Haven't heard of it. <laughs> Let's just say this. It is still in this day and age a Flash-based application. Wow. And for all you application software guys out there, some of the logic of the app lives in the Flash code. Um, <laughs> it did some things great. Um, in the long run, it, it didn't provide us the flexibility we needed. Um, it did almost everything. It did accounting, time tracking, project management. It had like a CRM in it. Um, and it it was like really cool because it brought all this together. We decided after that we're not going to try and have one tool do everything. Yeah. And go after best of breed in different areas. And so the the tool we moved in after working with Jig was something else that was... It sounded good. We probably got a little bit too greedy and we're like, oh, it does everything again, except these two. But so it must be much better at the other ones. Well, it wasn't, again, it wasn't flexible enough. And so what we now go to is we look at people's APIs up front and their product roadmaps and like the ability at some point with some products to go, you know, we use a SaaS version of this now. Could we ever buy it if we wanted to run it on our server and, you know, get direct access to the data if we ever wanted it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done that a couple times. So most everything we use is SaaS based. So going through it, Slack, uh, we use Jira and Confluence a ton. You know, Jira is really the ticket management, uh, Epic Sprints. Uh, it's really built around software for the most part, but 50 plus percent of what we do is putting out software and delivering it against release cycles. Mm-hmm. And you can do a ton with workflow, which is really cool. Um, and we have clients in there. So you know, there's like people who can open new items and their bosses have to approve it before we spend money on it. And so we've catered that to clients and then Confluence, it's just a wiki, mm-hmm. but it's been great. And we've, I've gotten really militant this year. If like, if you keep having to answer the same question, whether it's to a client or like every time someone new comes on, like write it down. Yeah. We have people, the people we hire tend to be really um, kind of self-driven learners. And a lot of them learned a ton online and if we don't have anything written down, it's very hard to read anything. So yeah. it's write it down and kind of distill it enough that you can explain enough why you did something and, and why that works here. So when someone comes in and has a question, they can hit Confluence and learn from themselves. Uh, so those are the two really big ones. Um, getting into like the business operations side, mm-hmm. uh, we use Zero for accounting. We switched from QuickBooks. We've been really happy with that. 
Um, it's a SaaS-based solution. Accounting is not like one of the places we want to innovate, really. It's, right. it's been done a certain way for a long time, and accountants are pretty particular, and so is the, so is the government. So <laughs> um, we didn't need as much flexibility, and it's been a great product. Uh, for sales, we use Salesforce. It is, it is the behemoth yeah. in the market, and it has looked really old for a long time. They recently did a big update. Well, I think it's called like Lightning. It's a brand new, more app-like responsive experience. Um, it's really good so far. Um, it's made our life faster. It feels like you're working with something from uh, the current generation of technology, which is <laughs> awesome. And it is, it's one of those catch-22s. It's been so flexible that it's allowed us to pretty much do whatever we want. And that can get a little... Um, I've had some late nights where I'm like, man, I wonder if I could use it to solve this problem. And then I've, I've actually like built it and customized it in the system. And the next day it's like, I really overcomplicated that, <laughs> but you can rip it back out. Right. So right. it's, that's been great. Really. Other than that, we still use a crap ton of Google docs. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd say we've got some folks on the team who, who with Google sheets are, are like, I don't know, they're like ninth level black belts. We have <laughs> automatic scripts in it that are calling data from other systems and pulling it in. And so there are places where we just haven't found the perfect system. Right. Or, you know, the weak point on systems tends to be that they will they want black and white rules. And there are some things in our world where we don't want as much black and white. And we want to kind of figure out like what the gray may be. Yeah. And try more scenarios and things. So that's where we've tried to create kind of frameworks that are Google Docs that, that we use. And um, that's been good. I think there's always been the desire to go, man, there's got to be something better than a spreadsheet. And then we talk to a client who does like $5 billion in revenue, and they're like, yeah, we still do that in a spreadsheet. We're like, okay, maybe maybe there isn't a product out there in the market that would, uh, <laughs> yeah. would be better. And so we continue to customize the things that we, we buy. Mm-hmm. We actually host Jira and Confluence ourselves, so we can get direct access to the data. Yeah, I know that's something we kind of have wondered about in some of the services we use. When you're uploading private data, client data, important stuff to like some service, and you're like, well, hopefully they'll be around for a while. And <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And like for file, we use uh, we use Box.com. Mm-hmm. Um, where Dropbox for businesses now, we could use it. When we moved everything from an internal XServe with a giant like array of hard drives, mm-hmm. um, Dropbox didn't have enough control in it for some of the legality we have to deal with around like Sarbanes-Oxley for the public traded, PCI for the credit cards, and sometimes HIPAA a little bit. It didn't have the controls in place, and uh, it, that, that wasn't an area we were going to risk in. So. Yeah. And it's been really good. Some of the things Dropbox does a little bit better still. Um, we've had that as a, a SaaS in place for probably four and a half years now. And their product roadmap has been fast enough for the most part that they're delivering more than we need, which is great because eventually we're going to want that thing they rolled out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, the other part of it, at first we just threw everything in there. Then we actually spent the time internally to create a project structure as the template uh, because it got so big that we couldn't find anything. And so it's like finding that, that like, well, what's the bare minimum now? It's like, okay, here's the kind of folders. So that if you have another designer coming into a project, they're not like, um, where is everything? I, why did you put the files over there this time? So it's like process when it helps people is awesome. Process when it gets in the way of people doesn't work. And, yeah. and that's kind of a guiding principle. That's great. So do you not use a internal server workflow stuff really anymore? It's mainly box. 
Yeah, it's almost all box. Um, yeah, I don't think we have really anything hosted internally anymore. Uh, we, you know, we have Jira Confluence in the cloud. There, mm-hmm. you know, development environments. Like when you get to that level, more project driven. Uh, everyone at this point is pretty much using Vagrant. So they're running VMs and there's a common VM for a project. So you don't have to deal with the, oh, like, oh, I would, I didn't have mine configured that way or that installed. It's broke on production. That doesn't, that doesn't work at scale. So those are all, those are very local. Um, and then the actual like staging QA environments are all out of house. They're all in data centers of some kind, whether it's the cloud or some of our clients have data centers and mm-hmm. it's deployed there. Interesting. So in-house anymore. Probably the most critical thing we have in house is uh, is Sonos because without our music we're lost <laughs> and that, you know, that doesn't break a whole lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So it's been great talking to you. There's so much information. I can't wait to re-listen to it. I was wondering if you could give us a few takeaways or other people who are trying to grow a business similar to yours. Anything that you might uh, offer? Yeah, there's a few things. If you are going to go from that like ten person to that twenty person. Uh, make a real conscious decision, define who you are as a culture, because what's been organic, you will have to become more practiced and pragmatic to really teach that to new people. And if it's not written down, it's going to dilute. That's not a good thing for any business. If you're in a people business, your people are critical, your culture is critical. Um, We view culture as a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to it, write it down and make sure you're staying on course with it from people to the clients you hire to the business decisions that you make. So that's a big one. I would say when you're investing in software for uh, how you use the business, invest as little as possible to get you what you want, Mm -hmm. uh, but don't shortchange yourself. And be very wary of boxes that you can't change at all. If it's got an API these days, and I think most of the really good ones do, Make sure you can access what you want to access over the API. Because if you're in the digital space, you've probably got software folks in your team who can do amazing things if they can get the data. Right. So make sure you have access to that. Um, it, it's really important. We've run into a couple of painful situations when we didn't. Now we we, act, we ask upfront yeah. and make sure it's there. And you know, look at process. Make sure you've got the right process in place. And the process that worked for the seven people, it won't work for the 17 most likely. So figure out what's part of your secret sauce, Mm -hmm. like what makes you different and what has really helped you deliver work and what might have to change a little bit. Maybe it's getting more flexible. Maybe it's getting more rigid. I don't think there's a right answer there. It's just be very intentional. Think about it. And as you grow, keep looking at it to make sure that what you have done is still working. Yeah, um, it's easier to take small steps and to tune how it's working if you're doing it on an ongoing basis. If you wait too long, it all of a sudden starts to be a really big challenge. And the more people you have, the more people and process and understanding you've got to move. Um, so get the feedback from everyone from the top to the bottom and make sure you think about it and, and roll it back into what you do from a, a business perspective. Agencies need to choose what they're great at and decide to be great at that and make sure there's a market for it, right? Like don't go into a place and go, but there's actually no one willing to pay us for that, but decide what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And that could be client size, industry vertical, it'll change things. And when 
the market goes on a downturn and everyone gets tight budgets, they are going to look really hard at the outside costs. And if you're an outside cost, it's like, yeah, they're kind of one of many. They could shop for a cheaper one. If you provide them a value and have done that and they see that, they are much less likely to let you go. Maybe they'll squeeze your budgets. You know, it's hard to avoid that sometimes. Uh, but what you don't want is that constant churn of, oh, there's a new marketing director. They're going to change that out. Be valuable to the the businesses you're going to work with for, for a number of reasons, but make sure you know it and you build the business around it. Great. Great advice. I think the last thing, I mean, you, you had it on the list. We talked about this a little before. Figure out how to get your clients involved. If, you're, if you, the right people are hiring you, they've got some amazing information and sometimes they don't even know that they know it. It's like so much muscle memory. Figure out how you draw them into the project so they contribute and make the work better. And that's, it's a bit about relationship and it's a bit of, about asking the right questions that things they're excited about and get them talking. And oftentimes that opens up like new rooms you didn't even know existed. And it's like, whoa, that's awesome. You've got a pool in the house. Let's talk about that pool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Collaboration is so important and getting them involved, making them feel a part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And find other agency owners to talk to. Find folks who are maybe not in the exact same competitive space. Mm -hmm. Have coffee with them. Partly, it'll help invalidate that you're not insane yeah. and that some of these problems happen everywhere. Uh, it'll also just give you an opportunity to talk to people and, and learn. Get in the game of improving things and, and do it on the work and do it on the business side. I really enjoy getting together with folks that I trust and I know who do great in their business. Sometimes it's agency, sometimes it's broader. And having them go, well, that's a really like cool idea. I mean, you guys have done a really good job. Or sometimes it's like, why the hell are you doing that? I mean, that seems crazy. <laughs> and it's like, you go, oh, you know what? That kind of is crazy, but we've always done crazy. So we hadn't even thought about, does crazy make sense? And that's been huge for some of the business operations and, and planning. It's like, oh, God. it's a unique skill set to create things that aren't there. Not everyone's ge geared for it. Yeah. If you're geared for it, get really good at it. I mean, get really damn good at it, whatever that it is you decide and that'll make it easy on the mornings where you're like man i just really want a day off you know no one told me when i when i own the place that i don't really get a day off if there's stuff to do <laughs> yeah as easily um <laughs> that you can still be excited about we've had lots of challenges and, and i've learned a ton from them and it's exciting to get up now because i've got all these people that are doing great work for our clients that can help solve those challenges together that's awesome well congratulations on copious it seems Thank like you. an awesome business it's one hell of a fun ride. <laughs> I've learned so much over the years from the smart people we've hired. Uh, and for me, I love learning. Yeah. Every year it's like I learn more and I'm like, man, there is more I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So like the world's gotten a lot bigger and I love seeing people learn and being one of those people to learn every day and build a great business where that can happen and be successful. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. You bet. Thank you. Thank you.